What's up, guys? I'm Dmitry Lipinski, and welcome to the Roofing Insights Podcast, the show that lets you take roofing insights on the go. If you have ever wanted to enjoy Roofing Insights content on your drive to the job site or while you're at the gym, this podcast is perfect for you. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. In this episode, I spoke with Jen Silver, who shared what it's like to be a woman in a male-dominated industry and how she does things differently. Before that though, I want to give a quick shout out to SRS. SRS is the third largest and fastest growing roofing supplier with more than 440 locations across 45 states. SRS is committed to serving the professional roofing contractor's business needs. I personally know a number of roofers who have already switched over to SRS because of the outstanding reputation SRS has earned in the last decade. Check out srsdistribution.com to learn more about SRS and how they are serving contractors around the country. Now, let's jump into my talk with Jen. She only has been in the roofing industry for a couple of years. She already worked for companies like SRS. She worked for a roofing business that went out of business. She started her own company, but she's already game changer. And you're about to see why. Her name is Jen Silver. Thank you so much for coming to our studio today. Thank you, Dimitri. I appreciate it. It's been a nice trip so far. Awesome. Jen, let's start with your story. How in the world did you get in the roofing business? Well, it's an interesting story, right? So um, in my 20s, I was in the restaurant business and I had you know, built myself to, self up to being a general manager. And then I was a district manager and I got married to someone in the military. We moved to Japan, had some kids, stopped working. How was Japan? Oh, Japan is pretty amazing, not going to lie. Probably one of my favorite places that I've ever lived. Would you go back? Would you live there? Yes, I would. Absolutely. Okinawa specifically. Um, I don't know if I could live in Tokyo. I'm not necessarily a huge big city type of person. I don't know if I would want to live in New York or L.A. um, either, but Okinawa was wonderful. So Utah, Okinawa, like where would you retire? Well, so I'm a mom, right? And I have four kids and I'm sure it's going to depend on where my grandkids are at that point. Cause I don't, that was the hardest part about living so far away is it's far, you know, it's a 24 hour plane ride to get back to the States. And I don't know that I want to be that far away. Would I have a home there? Yes, absolutely. But I, would I live there? I don't know. Love it. Yeah. What happened next? Um, so, Uh, In 2016, I went through a divorce and I found myself a single mom and I didn't want to necessarily go back into restaurant management because the hours are crazy and it's really hard to balance that kind of a life when you have little kids. But I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be this time around when I grew up either. Uh, I had some friends that were in outside sales and my mother had been in outside sales and I thought, that seems like a good fit. It's flexible. I can be reliable, Um, it works for kids, but most outside sales jobs are commission-based. And I really wanted something that I could feel more comfortable as a mom and as now as a sole provider again um, in an industry that I knew was going to sustain my ability to continue to make money. So I chose construction, but I didn't really know anything about construction, kind of a minor problem when you're choosing a new (laughs) industry, right? Um, but I know that I'm smart and I'm a quick learner. 
So I thought, okay, I just need to meet the right people. Like if I can meet the right people that get to know me and understand that I have an ability to gain knowledge, I have the skills, I just need the knowledge um, that they would hire me. So I went to the country club because everybody knows that construction owners hang out at country clubs, right? And play golf and do fun stuff. Um, In the beginning of the summer of 2017, And I told the general manager of the club, I said, hey, I'm only going to be here for the summer. I'm here to meet owners and get a job. And he kind of laughed, but said, you know, that's fair. Thanks for being honest. And I said, I'll work hard. I know every part of the restaurant. You're not going to have to train me. It'll be good. Uh, So I got an offer working for SRS. And I started in September of that year working inside. Um, Was it a pay cut from Country Club? uh, It was a huge pay cut from anything I had ever done. But it was an opportunity, right? And so you have this big game plan. You already It was just a stepping stone mm-hmm. where you're going. Love it. Well, and, you know, I had to learn somewhere. And SRS gave me the opportunity to do that. And I'm grateful. Um, it, was, it was mind-blowing, right? There's a lot of different components to roofing. And manufacturers were really supportive. You know, I got to go on plant tours. I, I went to different trainings. Um, and I met all of the roofers pretty much in Salt Lake area, right? At least the ones that bought from SRS, which is, you know, a wide variety of them because they usually buy from a few different um, distributors just in case one doesn't have them. So I knew a lot of people in town, and that was great. Um, I ended up parting ways with SRS in May of 2018, the end of May, and I reached out to our IKO rep, and I said, okay, Now, what am I supposed to do next, right? Um, And he goes, oh, Jen, you're not going to have a hard time finding a job. Everybody in town loves you. It will be easy. Um, I entertained a few different offers. Ultimately, I chose to go with a roofing company in Salt Lake, and I uh, went in as their sales manager. Well, that was a really great job because it was some salary and some commission, right? So it gave me a little more comfort and stability, but it also allowed me to do what I feel like I'm probably the best at, which is managing and developing people and sell as well. I loved it. I started in July. We were at like 1.2 for the year, and I told them that we were going to finish at four, and they kind of laughed. They're like, okay, yeah, that would be great, Jen. I said, no, really, we will. And um, August uh, 22nd, I was sitting in the break room with my sales team and I'm going, we really need a hailstorm, like really, really bad, right? And we all kind of laughed and then it hailed that day. Mm-hmm. And a good size hail, one of the bigger storms that Utah had had. And my sales team was calling me, did, did you know? I'm like, no, how do you know when a hailstorm's coming through? <laughs> I just said we needed a hailstorm. But it allowed us to finish the year at $4 million. Um, the next year, I, in addition to being the sales manager, took over as the general manager uh, about March of 2019. And we grew from $4 million to $7 million that year. And then unfortunately, due to legal complications, uh, at the end of 2019, we found out that that business was going to close. Wow. Was it growing too fast? No, um, there were just some licensing issues. And as soon as I was aware of the licensing issues, I had actually gone out and gotten my B100, which is a general contracting qualifying license, so that I could replace the qualifier on the business 
and um, not have any. Guide me through that process. How long did it take you? To become a qualifier? Yeah. Um, I had to take a 25 hour class and a business law exam. But I had. Easy? Um, easy. I don't know if easy. Uh, technically, it was open book, but the book was not super easy to navigate through. Probably the worst part was they didn't tell me I could use a calculator. So it said all I could have was a paper and a pencil. Oh, wow. So I did all of my math by hand. And you still passed? Uh-huh. All of the long division, all of the uh, algebra, all of the percentages. And I walked out and I handed the guy my paper and he goes, why didn't you use the calculator? And I said, it says only paper and pencil. It's just crazy to me uh, that someone outside of the industry can go and become a GC on paper, pass the test, and so many guys in the business. And comment below, I wanna know where my audience is. Because I know a lot of my friends, they are immigrants, so their English is second language, and they just would not do the test, they don't believe it. So they ask their wives, hey honey, can you please, I'm doing the work, mm -hmm. I'm doing the business, can you become a license holder? And they send their wives, I'm like, you freaking, like, unbelievable, but it's doable. Mm -hmm. so. Well, I had been in the industry long enough, right? It's a two-year minimum, and I had, been in the, I had been in the business for two years. Do I know everything about the technical side of roofing? No, I still learn things every day. I know but a you lot became more GC. now. But, I be, but a GC is a little bit sure. different, right? Then, um, you know, I do sub out my roofing work. And so I go and do quality assurance checks and, you know, manage job safety and do things like that. I understand the legal side of things and I understand the business side of things. And my roofing knowledge grows every day. It's a, it's a debatable issue, right? Take me uh, fast forward to the time when you actually opened the business. Well, opening what, what, the what happened to the, so you're a general manager now <clears throat> working for the company. What happened there? Are they still in business? No, they're not. No. Um, so I actually started my business in December of 2019 and, you know, just on a credit card because I had no plans of ever being a business owner, but I kind of naively thought it can't be that much different than being a general manager. Uh, naively would be the key word there, right? Um, but I had a great how, team. How, how can you describe um, the transition from general manager to actually running at all? Like how many more hats you didn't wear yet? Because general I, manager wears a lot of hats. You do, yeah. It, I don't know that it's the hats as much as it's the liability, right? Everything now falls on you. And even though when you're a general manager, you think you're liable or you're responsible. It's, there's a difference between being responsible and accountable and being financially and legally liable. It's a very different feeling. It's a different emotion. It never shuts off. You know, as a general manager, I could come home and I could go to bed and my mind didn't think about what everybody else could possibly be doing that could jeopardize my life essentially, right? Um, but as a owner, it's a very different feeling and a very different, you have to let go of control and tr truly trust your team that they are going to make good decisions. That Have you learned how to do that? Um, or somewhat. is it possible? No, I do think it's possible. You know, you, you have to hire the right people. And I think that's a start. I think you're always going to find people that unfortunately maybe present themselves really well. Uh, and then it doesn't go exactly the way you planned.
But I think if you're ever going to be successful as a business owner, you have to let go of control and empower people. And I, I think when you empower people and they know that you trust them and they're good people, they really do the best they can to make good decisions. Um, I have a huge culture on honesty. I can fix anything that I know the truth about, right? But if people try to hide things from me and I can't fix it or I don't know about it, that's where I start to have you know, trust issues. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does things sometimes that they regret. But if they don't tell me about it or they cover it up, that's when it becomes a real challenge as an owner. Love it. Take me to the moment where you decided to actually, I'm doing it. Like, this is it. I'm a business owner now. I, I don't know. It was, it all kind of happened so fast, to be honest with you. And my team was like, Jen, we love what we do. You, we have to keep going. We're doing great things. And I just did so it. It was that previous company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ultimately, I only took about three people with me. I thought more would go. Because they were closing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There wasn't opportunities for them anymore. And I continued to work with the other company for a while, uh, did both and tried to help them get their business unwound and collect an astronomical amount of accounts receivables that they had. Um, But it kind of got to a point where there wasn't anything left for me to do and I really needed to focus on my own business 100%. What did you do in your first year in business? 968,000. But 600,000 of that were job transfers from the other company that we took over. How can you describe roofing business as an outsider? You came from it from a completely different background. Um, How can you describe to someone who, who is not in the business? So the roofing industry is interesting. It's a lot of fun. Um, I love the culture of the people. I've, I have experienced nothing but really welcoming people, even my local competitors. Like if I called them with a question, they would answer. And they call me with questions too, you know, whether it's around marketing or different things that I have strengths in. So I've built a lot of really great relationships. One thing that's challenging about the roofing industry is I think that there aren't enough people that completely understand business. And when that happens in an industry, people end up going out of business. I think it's like you said 80 last night. I've heard 85, I've heard 90, but percent of you know construction companies, roofing in particular, go out of business within the first two years. And when that happens, people that don't go out of business still unfortunately um, suffer some of the consequences of that, right? Because consumers are concerned with whether or not their roofing company is gonna be around in you know five years or 10 years or whenever things come up for them. That's been a challenging thing to navigate. What was the hardest thing for your first year in business or first two years? Well, the first year in business was, I think, an interesting year in general, right? It was COVID. And so I had to learn how to manage remote and I'm not a very technologically savvy person. So, you know, making sure that everything was available from a technology standpoint to support my team Thankfully, we were considered, you know, a necessary business, so we never shut the doors completely. But, of course, business was harder than it would have probably been. Um, The second year in business, well, I didn't brand at all in the first year of business, so that became a challenge. And then of those contracts we completed, unfortunately, we never collected the deposits on that. 
So going into my second year in business, you know, with a significant amount of capital that I didn't receive that I was anticipating made life challenging, you know, as far as purchasing assets go. Um, now I've been, I think, pretty smart financially. I don't have any debt. Everything is paid every month. Um, and I set it up that way on purpose because I know how easy it is to get in the hole. So did I go into the year $150,000 in debt? No, but I went into the year with $150,000 loss. So the money that I would have used to purchase assets and the capital that would I, I would have used to grow the business and Can you brand. explain that? I don't think many people would understood what exactly you said. $150,000 debt versus $150,000 loss. Yeah. So when you're in debt, it's mean that it's money that's owed to other people, right? So I didn't have money that I owed to other people per se, but there was money that I was anticipating that would come in from the deposits on those contracts. And so that $150,000 that never accounts came in, would have, which would have been accounts receivables, um, would have been the capital that I was going to use to continue to grow the business. And it never came. So it was a loss, but I wasn't in debt. Your first year in business, second year in business, how, do you, how did you get your name out? Nobody knows you. You're not a roofer. Nobody knows Jen as far as you know, someone reputable. How do you build a reputation from zero? Well, I had had um, a little bit of experience in the industry. I had become an advisory board member for the APA. Uh, I think within the first few months of them getting founded, I think I was one of the first 30. So I had met quite a few people in the industry when I was the general manager. But ultimately, I went to social media. I am not a huge fan of social media in general, personally. Um, I think that it creates a very false reality for people. It's a highlight reel, and I think it's hard for people to believe that that's only a highlight reel, and it you know, causes issues of self-worth, and especially in teenagers and younger kids. And so I have my own philosophies about it. And I'd been off social media for about a year, year and a half, and um, ultimately had decided to get back on social media at the end of January of 2019 after, or 2020, sorry, um, after a breakup. And I had 127 friends and I thought to myself, there has to be a way to leverage social media as a branding mechanism because the only delineating or differentiating factor I could find for myself that would be easily marketable was the fact that I was a woman and I was a single mom and I was doing it on my own. Um, and I thought that there has to be people in Utah that would like to support that type of a business just because. So I sent out 400 friend requests to strangers, which was way outside of my comfort zone um, on March 2nd. And I targeted people like CEOs, mortgage brokers, real estate brokers, home inspectors, um, insurance agents, but not adjusters, just people that I thought, okay, if they knew me and knew that I owned a roofing company, maybe that would start to generate conversations. Um, I don't know how Facebook algorithms work, to be honest, but I know that I hit some because after that, 
within a week or two, I started getting 100 to 200 friend requests a day of like people, but not just in Utah, all over the United States. And before I knew it, I had close to 5,000 friends. Um, I had to hire a social media company to help me navigate through my friend requests because I looked at every single one of them. And um, then I started to gain followers and it just kind of went from there. Love it. And I want to quickly just comment that be careful who you associate with. What Jen says is absolute gold. So often, you know, we're friends with people when we don't share their values, we don't share their beliefs, we don't share the way they do business, their ethics, but we're still friends with them because they are famous or they are this and that. And who you associate with is very important. I absolutely love the strategy. I, I reached 5,000 too, and last night we were talking about it. We have the same strategy. Now, if someone reaches out to you, want to be friends with you, and you want to be friends, so you have to go and delete someone. Yep. And you always look for the people that don't have pictures, right? Because they're inactive. And so, it's, you know, because I, I don't know whose life I'm touching all the time, right? Just because they're maybe not interactive in my post doesn't mean they watch them. And I always get, or that they don't watch them. So I always get worried when I go to delete somebody that I could hurt their feelings, right? Or change their life. So I try to look for the no picture people. How did it affect your business? Like what happened? So you have 5,000 contacts. I mean, those are not jobs, it's just a network. So you started with a building network on social. Where did it lead, it? It lead you? Well, I think one of the things that most people don't understand is only 30% of buyers make decisions based on price, right? Um, most buyers make decisions based on other things. And I w I'm a very authentic person in general. Like. You, you get what you get. I swear. Um, I drink coffee. I, I just, I am me. And I wanted people to understand that and who I am. And I took, I do a lot of videos and a lot of really straightforward videos. I mean, there was a video where I took my daughter's bed down because I couldn't keep the trash out from underneath her bed and I got tired of cleaning it out. So, you know, here I worked all week you know, busting my butt and come home and I'm tired of cleaning. So I just literally took her bed out of her room, put her mattress on the ground and said, until you can start to keep your room clean, this is the bed that you get. Right. And I did a video about that. Parenting isn't easy. You know, you see things on Facebook where everybody's smiling in their pictures. And in reality, you're, you know, pulling your hair out and taking beds apart. Um, but I start, I think I started to gain trust with people. And people started to really, when they would meet me and then watch my videos, they matched, right? Because I don't really, I'm always the same, I think. Um, and I started getting tagged in posts for roofs all over. Anytime someone would post in a community post, somebody would tag me. Um, I got, and I, I oftentimes didn't even know the person that was tagging me. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of people reach out and just say that, you know, I had made a difference in their life or I had made a difference in their daughter's life or, um, you know, things from there. Plus, the industry started to pay more attention as I was popping up in front of people. And my videos get a lot of comments, which you know how that works. So when somebody gets a lot of comments, it pops up in other people's news feeds. And so I think it just it just kind of started to snowball from there. Um, Armando Jaycox reached out to me in July and said, hey, I'm doing an, a marketing podcast. 
would you be interested in being on it? And I thought, oh, sure, I can talk about social media marketing. That's a pretty easy thing to do. And they, they kind of left the last 10 minutes for me, right? Because nobody really knew who I was. And I understood that. They had other people that had, you know, more experience. And I get on and it's him and John Dye. And they asked me, um, so what kind of work do you do? And I said, well, I do both insurance and retail, but I probably do it a little bit differently, you know, than the rest of people. And they're like, oh, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I do everything retail. I, I don't change my prices. It's one, it's one system. Um, and then I offer financing to every customer, but especially to our insurance customers. And um, then I complete the job and they submit the information to their insurance company. I said, I don't talk to insurance companies. I don't negotiate my pricing. I don't use Xactimate. I don't supplement. I do every job the same way. And they're silent. And I'm going, oh, no. What did I say? This isn't good for my first podcast. Like, what is going on, right? And uh, This is gold. <laughs> comment below if you use Xactimate. And comment below if you have this debate and you don't know what to do. Comment below if you have one price for insurance company and one price for retail jobs. Well, and I... I had had some discussions um, with different people about it at different times and been told that this was the stupidest thing they'd ever heard. It, it would never work. It would never work. Um, and John Dye goes, you're the one. And I'm like, what? And he's like, no, you're the one. And, I, one. Yeah, and I'm like, well, what does that even mean? I'm just a single mom in Utah who's really trying to figure out how to make it all work, right? And, um, and Armando's like, we're out of time, but we've got so much that we want to talk about. Everybody has tried to do this or put this together, but you're the first person that we've met that has actually done it, has all the pieces together, and that's all that they do. And that was the end of the podcast, right? Wow. Guys, we're actually going to, after this interview, we're going to dive into that. We're going to uh, create some content for Roofing School. We'll get this brain and we'll put it you know, in a consumable format, can, you know, short clips, so you will understand exactly what Jen does. Jen, can you describe your managing and recruiting style? Um, yeah, so I have a little bit of an, um, an alternative way of recruiting. I still use things like LinkedIn and um, Facebook or Indeed, whatever. Uh, I send out behavioral um, trait questionnaire, right, at the beginning. I send it to every single applicant that applies. That usually weeds out 50 to 75% of people because they just don't complete it, um, which is great. They don't complete, and that's what weeds out, or the way how they complete oh, it? No I, no, I interview every single person. The assessment is never a deciding factor at all. It just gives me an idea of what type of work habits they have and questions to ask in the interview of how, so I can see what skills and knowledge they have around those, but it's never a determining Where can factor. we find something like that? Like, can you give us some resources? Sure, so I use something called the MPO and it's done by Ingenio. Um, it, I pay you know, a certain price per year and I have unlimited and I, that's why I'm able to send them out to every applicant. I've seen, I, I love DISC, I love, you know, there's so many different things out there the reason I like the MPO is it's really simple. Um, it's easy to communicate and my team understands it. If your team understands it, that makes it a lot better. Um, so I send those out. I swear in every interview. You do? I do. In the first interview. On purpose? On purpose. Yes, I do. Um, 
So my mantra is do epic shit and I wear necklaces that say that. And so I always say that in an interview and I do it for two reasons. One, I swear in general. So I need to know how they're going to respond. This is Utah. And I don't do, I never swear at people in a negative way. I just use them as adjectives and verbs and it's, it's not a great habit, but it is who I am and I've accepted that. Um, so I, I need to see how they respond to something like that. But more importantly, the second that I swear in an interview, somebody's guard goes down, right? And the amount of information that you would get from somebody in an interview when you've said one swear word because you almost have given them permission to just be um, is incredible. Like I have had people tell me things that I think, oh, I would never have told somebody that in an interview. And it's always been really effective for me. Can you name a few biggest lessons that you learned from the company, your first work, like first roofing company that folded later? Maybe lessons um, what well, not to do? The, well, there's a lot of what not to do, right? <laughs> um, but probably one of the biggest one is don't collect from insurance companies. Don't, that, collect don't collect from insurance companies. So I ask this question when I'm out on the road, who are you collecting from? And contractors always tell me they're collecting from their homeowners. And I ask them, then why are you chasing the insurance company for the money? And they're kind of silent. You know, when, when we put ourselves in positions where we're doing work for insurance proceeds and um, asking for permission on the work that we need to get done, even though what's required on the roof doesn't change, right? We allow the insurance companies to dictate the payment structure and schedule. If the homeowner doesn't get a check from the insurance company, you can't then go and enforce your contract on the homeowner because you're doing the money or you're doing the job for insurance proceeds. They don't have the proceeds. There's nobody to collect from. So in reality, the industry is collecting from the insurance companies and that's somebody that they don't have a contract with. How do you collect from somebody that you don't have a contract with? I wasn't going to do that. Um, I did not, I knew that I could not float an accounts receivables long enough to sustain the business. And that was probably the biggest thing that I learned. Um, I also learned that, you know, that when you're producing revenue and sales, revenue and sales are different. So you need to make sure that the revenue that you produce, that you have all of the ability to pay the bills that go along with the revenue. Because if you're not generating sales and revenue and paying, it's, it's not, it doesn't flow, right? And that's how you can really, truly get into cash flow crunch. Love it. Any other lessons that you learned from that year? Oh, there's so many. Like, I don't even know where to start. Um, I learned that I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. In what sense? Um, that fear in the past where fears have maybe held me back of what I thought I could do or what I thought I was capable of not allowing myself to get stopped by myself because I think ultimately that's the number one thing that kills everybody is themselves uh, allowed me to actually fully step into being a leader and the powerful force that I can be when I truly believe in myself and that's probably another huge lesson that I have learned is I'm my biggest enemy Oh, you're in the male-dominated industry as a woman, and you definitely use it as a, in the marketing. Like you market as a business that you know, single mom runs it. You want people to support it. Give people. I'm pretty sure we have a lot of female 
um, audience, how do you say, it? women in the audience, mm -hmm. um, give them some tips. And like, if you're different, if you can be immigrant, you can be minority of any kind. Like, how do you market that? Um, so I don't know that I spend a lot of time pointing it out. You know, I'm not like, hey, me, look at me, I'm a single mom. I do it through... I, I think that's what people don't like. Yeah, they don't, right? I, I do it through... I want people to give me business because they trust me, right? I want people to give me business because I'm worthy of it. I don't want them to give me business just because I'm a mom or a single woman or a woman in general. I want them to give me business because I have the best warranties and I have um, I honor my word and I have five-star Google reviews, right? Now... I think it's important for them to buy that, those things. I think they have to believe in me as a person. And that's why I went to social media to try to show who I was, what we're about, and um, generate momentum that way. And I absolutely agree. And so many make this mistake. And I think it goes the same with being Christian or Muslim for that. Like, whatever. Like, it's there's two types of people in business. One is who put it on the front, in the slogan, on, in the title, in a Facebook, you know, top, like, you know, Christian-owned ba uh, business or black-owned mm -hmm. or whatever. And then there's others who do everything right and they just happen to be the minority. Because people will talk about you, you know, people talk about me often, like, my audience tells me all the time, they would go to the homeowners and, and the homeowner will say, hey, I've seen this Russian YouTuber. It's like, Dimitri, and I never even call myself a Russian roofer, but people call me that. They it's just, you that, do yeah. something good, people will try to identify you and they will put label on you like who you are. Like for you, it'll be single mom. Like you don't have to say that you're a single mom, mm -hmm. but people, I think it's awesome to be different, not to hide it, embrace it but also not to talk about it 24 7. I, I love how you've done it. Do you recommend uh, working for someone in the beginning before you go on your own or if you would uh, have to start over today would you go just jump right at it or you still would go work for someone else? Oh I would probably still work for someone else right there is it, it may have been different if I had been raised in a family that owned a roofing company and I felt more confident in my knowledge um, there's a lot that I learned working, um, with the other roofing company. And I think, you know, people ask me a lot, how I, how could you not be bitter about not receiving that money or why didn't you go after it? Or why didn't you do those things? And I look at it as my cost of education, right? Um, I am so unbelievably grateful for the things that I was taught both great things and things to do and, and things to learn from. Um, so I, I don't, there's no way I would recommend that somebody that has no roofing experience, maybe business experience like I did, but no, no time in the business to go out and start your own business. No, I don't think that that's so a good So definitely decision. go work yeah. for someone else mm -hmm. before starting. Love it. Uh, can you name a few uh, apps, resources that help you like early on? Something that you adopted, you mentioned that you're not a technology savvy person. Mm -hmm. Uh, what kind of apps did you enroll in that help you? For um, when I started my business, yes. I think one of the best decisions that I made early on was going with Divi. So I don't know if you know what Divi is. Divi is a cash management system. It's a credit card system. Okay. 
So I have virtual cards that I can assign to each supplier with specific limits. I have burner cards, I have subscription cards, my employees have cards, um, and it's required to be paid at the end of every month, right? Or whatever your date is. So whatever balance I accrue during that month, um, it gets paid off. And it makes it, for someone that maybe doesn't understand QuickBooks, and I do understand QuickBooks to some degree, I don't like accounting, but I get it. Um, it makes it nice because I can go in, if I have an employee that I can't get a hold of, I can shut their card off. You know, if I want to try a, a, a subscription to something, but I don't know that I'll remember to cancel it, I can make it a subscription or a burner card and it shuts off in seven days and they can just never wow. rebill it. Um, and I've accumulated points and things along the way. So Dibby was probably one of the best first solutions, I think, mm -hmm. that I made. Um, I'm going to sign up today. It's great. I, I promise. It's Never awesome. heard of it. Oh, I'll send you a link. You'll have to go check it out because it's pretty great. Um, yeah. Other than that, you know, probably social media has been a huge help. Now, I now part am partnering with SumoQuote and JobNimbus to package um, the retail model for contractors that maybe have never used a CRM or never built a proposal or don't even understand how to come up with your, their numbers. And I love both of those companies. I love their CEOs. They're amazing people. And I love being a partner with them. So I'm hoping that we get to a place, and we should here really quickly, where they can just literally take my model and paste it into another company. And all we have to change is their pricing. So you use both SumaQuote and Japanimbus. And Japanimbus helps you with pretty much everything inside the business to manage your jobs and SumaQuote helps you to present it to the home. So I haven't used them traditionally. I had created all of my own presentations or my team had, um, and I'm working on building them now in those two platforms because it's easier for me to be able to translate that out to other people than it would be for me to say, hey, go spend 20 hours and build this you know, retail presentation that has all this material in it. I don't think that's practical. So I have partnered with them going forward, and we're currently working together to get, to get all of that up to speed so that it's ready to go, hopefully by January. Love it. DB, how do you spell it? DB card? D-I-V-V-Y. Love it. I'm going to check it out. You should. You should. <laughs> it's pretty great. I think you'll like it. Let's talk about women versus men in the roofing industry. As a manager, as an owner now, what are positions that uh, men are better at and women? Like I know Kevin O'Leary, he, he pretty much puts uh, women in management position in all his businesses, right? Uh, as far as just gender goes, like what women are better than men in this industry? Is it accounting? Is it customer service? Is it... So I, I don't know that there are specific jobs that women are better at than men. Okay, If we go back to the trait assessment that we were talking about, there are certain traits that typically women have that men don't. One of them is called um, being an S over A, which means that your structure is higher than your uh, assertiveness. And those types of people are very detail-oriented. But I've seen S over A's in both men and in women. So someone that's an S over A is going to be great at bookkeeping. They're you're better at bookkeeping, um, better at maybe office type of stuff. But I don't know that it applies specific to a gender. I am not an S over A. I am an A over S, which means I'm a big picture thinker. I would never be good in an accounting position or a 
office type position, even though traditionally those are more women-y roles, right? Um, that wouldn't, it wouldn't work for me and who I am. On, I don't think that men and women are equal, right? I think that we have this push in society to say that we're equal and we're not equal, but it doesn't mean we don't have equal value, but our value is offered in different places. Women tend to be better at relationship building, which is why having them in managerial roles oftentimes makes sense, right? They, they're more intuitive or more in touch with people's feelings and what's going on and observant of those things. Whereas men are typically more driven by action and competition. So if you looked at it just from those two perspectives, then I would say, you know, men are great in sales. Women are also really good in sales because of their ability to build relationship, right? It, it's just two different approaches. And I think in reality, to have a successful business, you have to have both. I just love how in male-dominated industry, women can come in and dominate too because, on the, because you're so different. You know, you walk in a room, you will get noticed just because there's not many. You know, if it's one person that's different than others, he has advantage, marketing advantage, attention advantage. And that usually translates as, you know, sales, bigger numbers, whatever. It's numbers don't lie. If more people notice you, more people will want to approach you, do business with you. And uh, what advice would you give to women who wants to enter? I know a lot of um, women out there who are afraid because of sexual harassment, because of attention they don't like. They, they wouldn't even get in the industry. Um, but I also see it's changing. More and more do come in. And we have this movement, you know, women in the roofing industry and stuff like that. What advice would you give them if someone wants to try? So um, personally, I think that as a woman, you can have a lot of influence on the type of attention that you get. And I think that you can have a lot of influence on... Um, how people perceive you. And a lot of that does come to, down to personal choice. It comes to what do you choose to wear to events? Uh, what type of content on your social media do you post? Whether, it's, whether you use your social media for your business or not, people are going to go and look, right? So when you, when you become a business owner and you're in a position where people are going to go start to pay attention, you have to be responsible for the content for the image, for all of those factors that will then create your legacy, so to speak, right? Legacy has been a big word I've heard a lot lately. Um, you know, you're, and so as a woman, I think you have to be, you have to own that and you have to be willing to be responsible for that. Most, I, I have never, I've never gotten an inappropriate picture on my Facebook, okay? My marketing company thinks that's mind-blowing. They have no other female influencers or whatever you want to call it that have never gotten an unsolicited inappropriate picture. And, he, and he's like, why? And I go, well, do you look at my content? I go, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I put out a vibe that that's acceptable, right? I don't put out a vibe that that's something that I want. You know, I'm always completely covered, um, 
I mean, do I wear tank tops and, su and stuff in the summer? Of course I do, but do I feel a need to take a lot of pictures of things like that? No, I don't, because I don't think that that's, it's not the legacy that I want to create. Um, so I think that you can navigate through that as a woman, but you have to be committed to controlling who you are and what you allow people to see and how you present yourself in order to have those things not happen. I love this conversation because it comes from you. I almost feel like you initiating it. And it's awesome because we have so many controversy. I think one of the biggest one was uh, Armando, actually, Jacobs. He did a photo shoot. You know, he put women, girls in the bikinis on the roofs. And I was reading comments. It was a war. Like, industry was not ready for it. And it was so many. I mean, the question I have for you is that does sex sell in the roofing industry? Well, it depends on what you want to sell, right? So absolutely sex sells in general, right? Um, but I think sex sells things. Sex does not sell um, professionalism. Sex does not sell service. Sex does not sell something that is sustainable. But sex can sell a product. But don't you think, and would you agree, he, it's just my observation as a marketer is, you know, I love studying marketing from biggest brands, right? If you have, let's say, Pepsi, and you have girls in the bikinis, you know, washing car, you know, we've all seen the image, and they run it on national TV, it will sell to the audience. But I would argue that the roofing industry it's way more conservative than people think. And when we try to do something like that, I would argue that we uh, lose bigger audience than we attract. Would you agree with that? Um, yes, but in the roofing industry, you're not selling a product, right? You're selling a service. And because of that, I think, it, I don't think it will ever work in this industry completely. For me, I look at, okay, those girls in the Pepsi commercial, nobody knows who they are, right? They're not, people aren't judging them based on the reputation that they're taking on forever. They're models, right? And that's what people assume. When you take somebody like myself, and if I was to attempt to sell myself through sex, I don't have that same, you know, what is it, anonymity that they have, that follows me everywhere I go, and I refuse to do that. So I, I don't want to be known as somebody who is sexy or somebody that is hot. I want to be known as someone who is professional and someone who is driven and intelligent. And Can you be both? Um, Can I think someone so. be both? I think so. I, I do. But I think that what becomes sexy is the intelligence, and what becomes sexy is the fact that they're not putting themselves out there, the fact that they're not showing everything to the world, right? I think that in itself becomes sexy. So true. Absolutely love it. I love your perspective. And Jen told me last night that a few women came to her at a last IRE. They did. What did they say? They thanked me for dressing like a professional woman. And, you know, that their husbands come to these events and they see women that may not be you know, I, I almost always have a jacket on, a blazer and a shirt and jeans. I wore a sweater today, which was kind of nice break. But um, that's, that's how I dress at conferences, and they appreciated it. And that even validated how I feel about 
myself and the image that I present even more. Plus I have daughters, you know, I, I, I want them to value themselves. You're not an installer. How, how important it is to have a roofing knowledge or to be in the field to know what you're doing before you start your own business? Because there are so many people who don't understand it and they hate on business owners who don't who never work in the field. Can you elaborate on business knowledge versus material knowledge, you know, actual roofing knowledge? Um, I can. So I spend a lot of time working on my roofing knowledge, right? I will always probably be a little bit behind because I didn't have 20 years of installing experience. But I've really thought, I've had this conversation with myself a lot. And what is more important, having a great understanding of business and a good understanding of roofing knowledge or having a great understanding of roofing and a good understanding of business? And in my opinion, I think it's more important to understand business because I can hire people that can go and have the roofing knowledge and make sure that those things are done. But as an owner, if I don't understand all of the facets of my business, I can't hire somebody that will ever execute that way. And I can say that as a general manager because I, before I didn't really understand all of the intricacies into being an owner. So it's hard for somebody to be able to take that role on, right? But from a knowledge and a technical standpoint, I can hire that if I have to. Um, I, I do understand proper installation. I've watched a lot of videos. I've done a lot of different trainings. Um, I do quality assurance inspections. I have done inspections with other roofing companies. Um, I have no problem calling one of my competitors and saying, hey, have you ever done this? This is what I was thinking. You know, this is something that was new. I, I was thinking if I handled it this way or this way. And most of the time they're like, yeah, you, you're right. That, that's exactly. Or sometimes it's actually I would probably do this. I wouldn't coat that. I would, you know, look at doing it from this perspective. And it always seems to work out. Um, I think women bring an interesting part of relationship to roofing, right? So I'm, I have those relationships built with other people that are there to support me. And they know I would support them anytime that they needed it to. And it's always been really great. So for me, I'll never have the same amount of roofing knowledge as someone that has installed because I won't have gone through everything that they've gone through. But my business will sustain because I do understand the business side of things, if that makes sense. With that being said, how much roofing knowledge do you have to have to run a business? And installation part, would you agree it is 20% of the business or it's bigger? Some people argue that it's 80% of the business. Well, <laughs> actual installation part, no, but quality assurance and knowing components and knowing how things are supposed to go together, knowing if, you know, how step flashing works, knowing where counter flashing goes, knowing what needs to be ice and watered, like those types of things are actually pretty important, right? Like the fact that I could carry a bundle of shingles up a ladder. No, I don't know that that's really important. Or, um, I mean, I can chalk lines and I can nail shingles and I can use a nail gun. Do I do that? No, I don't. I can, I can weld. Do I like to? No, I'm really slow, like really slow, but my lines are really clean, right? But I'm not fast at it. So technical knowledge from an installation standpoint, being able to install maybe 20% knowledge of your, what you're selling and the product and being able to assure quality of that, 
I would say that that is much higher because you can't, you can't stay in business if you're not putting on a quality product that's going to last and pass inspections and codes. And I do have one technical question. Just you're going to help us to settle this debate in the roofing industry. It's the biggest debate. Oh, it's the biggest debate. It's about 60-40 split now. Okay. We're working on a big video on what goes first. Uh, we ask business owners all over the country and answer difference in different areas. What goes first, ice and water or drip, drip edge? Drip edge. <laughs> I didn't know that was what you were saying. Um, so I've seen it both ways. And for us, we put the drip edge and then we put the ice and water over the Is it edge. the local code? Um, I don't... I don't know if it's the local code, to be completely honest with you. It's just how we've always done it, and that is what we practice. Um, building inspectors don't push in it. They pass co inspections, everything. Mm -hmm. That's how it's done in mm -hmm. Utah. So That's in Utah, drip edge goes first, ice and water goes on top. Yes. Comment below if you agree. Or at least for us. Yeah. <laughs> this man says, I've run a company in this industry, and the only ones who make money are project managers and owners. Unless a sales rep sees it from beginning to the end, they're getting ripped off. So let's talk about positions in the roofing, biz uh, okay. roofing business. Who has the biggest opportunity to make money? Is it managers, is it owners, or is it salespeople? Um, short term, the salespeople. Long term, a good business owner. If he makes it. <laughs> if they make it, right? Um, which means they need a good sales team. I think that by far sales has the most opportunity depending on the structure. I, I don't do the profit sharing. I don't understand it. I don't know why people would do that. So what my, do you, what do you recommend? Um, well, my pay structure is a, a 10%. It is tiered based on gross profit because I don't want to just say it's a straight 10% and have salespeople undersell jobs. So they still have profit margins that they have to meet, but that's pretty much how it works. It doesn't cap. You know, now commercial jobs are a little different because the margins in commercial jobs are different. You can't, you're not going to get the same type of a gross margin. Of that, but other than that, that's how for residential, it's 10% as long as you hit a little. So salespeople definitely can have bigger earning potential than managers. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Driven, good salespeople, yes. So you, you joined John Dye. I did. And why did you do that? Because he's teaching supplementing. you teaching that... Not to supplement, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I said to John when he called me and said, hey, I think you should go on tour with me. Um, John has been amazing through this process. And I think that John is a progressive thinker, right? And he stays, tries to stay one step ahead of how the industry is shifting. And I think we can all see it. Whether deductibles are going up, people are automatically being switched to an ACV policy. There has to be a solution that we are working on preemptively as these things continue to happen and will continue to happen. And I think John saw that. And so I said the same thing to him. How, you, why would you take me on tour with you when you're teaching supplementing? And then here I'm going to stand up and say, don't use Xactimate, don't supplement, so you don't, don't do any of that. You're against supplementing. Yes. Yeah. I look for one thing on an estimate. What is it? The number of squares. So if it's an approval, why do I care what's on there? I have this very specific ways I have to install a roof based on manufacturer's specifications, based on local codes, IRC guidelines. I'm not going to leave drip edge off just because it's not on the estimate. So why do I care? 
right? I'm not going to leave nails off because I didn't write for nails. So I don't care about anything that's itemized. I know that they have a 31 square roof and 30.52 squares is approved. That's, that means it's a full roof and that's all I care about. So we don't need, you don't think industry needs Xactimate, it has to go away? I think the insurance industry needs Xactimate. I think that they need a way to have some type of gauge of what's going on. Um, but I don't think the roofing industry needs Xactimate. I think the roofing industry needs to stick to roofing. What's and your argument to insurance company when they say, well, here's my estimate and how do you react and how do you answer to their estimate? I don't talk to them ever. You, you only talk to the homeowner. I do. Mm -hmm. And how and do you train your homeowner? Sounds well, like a good movie, how to train, how to your, train home your homeowner. <laughs> so I, I show them, I show them all of the required products that have to go on their roof um, and I allow them to pay attention to their own estimate. I don't go through it and point out what's missing. I just say that there probably will be items that are missing um, because insurance companies are not roofing experts, right? Is insurance company usually higher than you or are you higher than them? I'm always higher. You're always higher? Mm -hmm. How, are you talking about 10, 20, 30% or? It depends on the insurance company, to be honest, right? So, um, sometimes 50%. 50%. Sometimes. And homeowners trust you over them? They have in the past, yes. I've never, we, we lose some jobs, right, typically. Um, I think that when you're switching to a model where you're not going to do it for insurance proceeds and the, your price is higher, you know, that can be hard. But I've generated quite a bit of trust with people and I can't guarantee that their insurance company is going to indemnify them. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but mainly I don't know what their policy says. You know, there are so many different parts of a policy and I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to violate UPA laws. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. So I refer them to a PA and I pay for a 15 minute call where the PA can run them through their policy and talk about ACV, RCV, talk about exclusions, explain the loss settlement provision, which happens to be why the majority of people are getting indemnified is due to that specific part of the policy, but I don't ever talk about those. If you would have to identify one thing, what's the most important thing for success in the roofing business? I, don't, I think it's probably success in any business, and it is staying focused on your why. And I think your why has to be bigger than you. When as a person, when your goals are so, so centered around self, it's really easy to quit on yourself, right? It's easy to give up, it's easy to justify. When your why or your goals are centered around something that's bigger than you, whether it's changing an industry or making a difference for little girls or you know, whatever that is, it's a lot harder to quit on everyone else. And so I think, and there's times when you wanna quit as a business owner, there's times when you're like, oh my gosh, is this worth it? I haven't had a day off in eight weeks, you know, a complete day off legitimately. But is it, is it worth it? Yes, because my why is so big. What's your why? Um, I have a few. One is around my children, right? And I think anytime it's something that's centered around your kids, that's different. So I have three daughters and I don't want them to ever think that they can't do something because whether it's just not a girl thing to do 
or um, due to their own self-limiting beliefs. I want to see my children or I want my children to see me push and continue to push through and not give up when things are hard. Um, another one of my whys, which this is my, per- my biggest personal why, is as a woman, I think I have been in relationships in the past because I felt like I needed to be there. You know, whether it was financially I felt insecure or personally I felt insecure or I didn't feel like I could protect my family or whatever it was. Um, And I want to be in a place where I can choose a partner someday and never need them and solely have a relationship based on choice. And probably my biggest why is I've always felt like I was there in life to have a bigger purpose than I could comprehend. And um, it took God or the universe or whatever you want to call it, crashing a plane into my house for me to finally wake up and listen. And I believe that I am supposed to make a difference. I believe that I'm supposed to give back to the community in Utah. I believe I'm supposed to give back to roofing. And whether it's, you know, through this model or it, you know, this is just another step along the way, um, I know that I'm responsible for helping and supporting people pushing through challenges in their own lives. What surprised you the most in the roofing industry once you start getting in, you know, with influencers, other players, what was different that you did not see coming? That's an interesting question. What is different than I didn't see coming? Um, I think the amount of support that there are, and I've been really fortunate. You know, I feel like my path has continued to cross like-minded people that are all wanting the same end result, which is building a reputable, professional, sustaining industry. Had that my path not have gone that way and those not the people that I you know, continue to find myself aligned with, then maybe I would feel differently. But where I'm at right now, that's how I feel. So you'd have to ask me again in a couple of years, maybe. So you attract good people. I do. But you definitely see others and your line just happened. And we attract people like us. Right. And, you know, I know that there are other paths I could go down, but those are personal choices. And um, I've made a strong commitment to myself in going forth on this path that I wouldn't violate my own personal values for anything. Not money, not notoriety, not fame, not, not any of that. And... I've stuck true to that, and I will continue to do that. Love it. What's your relationship with the Steve Badger? What is my relationship with Steve Badger? Yes. Um, so I consider Steve Badger a friend, and I'm very open about that. I don't ever want people to think that if they found out that I knew Steve, think I was hiding something. Um, I think Steve's a pretty wonderful guy. Yes, he has a job, and his job is that he's an attorney for insurance companies, and uh, a lot of people think that that means he's the bad guy or Darth Vader or whatever you want to say. To me, Steve's not a bad guy, and people that think he's a bad guy, that concerns me. He's not a bad boy, bad guy. He's not, no. (laughs) He goes after people that are doing the wrong thing, and legitimate contractors should support that because those are the people that give us a bad name. Uh, Steve does a lot of pro bono work that most people don't understand about him. 
Uh, he He's passionate about the same types of things that I'm passionate about, which is like licensing, being pro-consumer. Um, and I, I have a hard time understanding the hatred towards him because like I said, well, I can explain. We have a lot of shady characters. And when you have any kind of light there, it's like, oh, it's just a hate or it's just the negativity. And everybody wants to sweep bad things under the rug. Nobody wants to talk about it. Do we have problem in the industry? Yes. Let's not talk about it. No. How are we going to drive it out? By exposing it. When you turn switch in a dark room, mm -hmm. darkness disappears. Darkness does not fight with light. There's no conflict. You either have light or darkness. And I, I just hate it. Like, you know, I, I get the same hate. People always say, well, why did you talk about it? Why did you have to bring that up? Well, someone have to. It's not pretty. And uh, one thing in his defense is, because um, for those of you who don't know, Jen is a friend of Steve Badger, but she's also the one who introduced us to each other. So that's how we got an interview with him. He reached out to Jen. Jen already knew me. And she asked me if I would interview him. Absolutely. What I was surprised is how much more he, how much damage he could do. Like we actually behind the camera, we when the cameras were off, we talked about few people. And he's like, Demisha, I have folder on that person. I have folder on that person. I have folder on that person. That man could make way more damage. So am I. Like you know, if you want to ruin someone's reputation, name, I can go right now and make ten videos and put people out of business who I think should not be in business, but I let karma deal with it. I'll mention them. You know my opinions on them. So does Steve Badger. Mm -hmm. I agree with it. He's not a bad player. I actually think he's very fair and reasonable. I think he gives people quite a few chances. Mm -hmm. I give him a little bit of crap about the whole be nice to insurance companies because I've tried being nice to insurance companies sure. and it didn't always work, right? Um, but in general, I think what he's doing and what he's up to are the right things. Well, there he, has to be a sheriff. He is a true devil's advocate. Yes. Like, true. Like, absolutely. If there is a picture of devil's advocate, it would be better for me. And we don't have to agree. I don't agree with him. And I'm going to push back. But there is art how to argue with people on other sides. Like, you can't just hate each other. That's a wrong feeling. To no, have. I agree with that. And, you know, honestly, it's great because... When I have questions about stuff, like if, you know, if I say this in my presentation or if I do this, I want to make sure that what I am teaching aligns with laws and integrity and all of those things. And he always gives me great advice. And he's told me, he goes, this is probably one of the better models that I've seen. You know, I get why this works. I get any, and it is a triple win. It's a win for consumers. It's a win for contractors. And it's a win for insurance companies. Badger does not like Exactimate. He wants us to do it this way. Love it. He told me that too. Yeah. Biggest opportunities you see in the roofing industry right now. What's trending? What's the biggest things that people should pay more attention to? Um, that's a great question. So I think that... Oh, I think about this one. The biggest opportunities and trends in the roofing industry. I think we're going to see a lot more things go digital. Okay. I think that consumers, especially coming out of COVID, I think that we're going to see roofing on Amazon. I think people are going to be able to start to click and buy. 
you'll have customers that want that, but you'll still have consumers that want the relationship and the personal side of things. So I think it's going to be incredibly important for contractors going forward. If you want to continue to sustain in the business, you're going to have to learn how to build relationships and have customer service because those are the people that are going to be out there shopping for that personal installation. People that don't care and that are solely focused on price, they're going to cut out all of the mess and all of the process and click and buy and drop and a crew will show up and it will be done. And that's how I see the industry progressing in the next few years. And so I think contractors really need to start to focus more on being available, communicating with their customers and um, having good reviews and sustaining customer service and relationships. Love it. Uh, what, what is archaic things you see as something that just has to disappear? We cannot keep doing business this way besides exactly. Besides exactly. <laughs> um, well, I think that, let's see, how do I want to say this? I think contractors need more education around financing or finances. Okay. Um, I think that whether manufacturers, you know, start to put more things together, explaining accounting and explaining profit margins and the difference between gross profit and net profit. Um, I think that that's a huge, huge missing. And I've seen it being on the road and accounting is confusing. And I do get that when you debit, you credit, you credit, you debit. I mean, it, it, it can be hard, but I think we need to get out there and give people an opportunity to come somewhere where they can actually learn those things so that they can stay in business and they can understand their numbers and they do know what reports they're looking at when somebody hands them a P&L or a balance sheet or you know whatever is going on in their business, they have the opportunity to affect that or switch that or change it or however you want to say it. What's, what's your thoughts on solar? Should all the roofing companies offer solar? I offer solar. I don't push solar, um, but we do offer it. I don't know. Solar is one of those things that's interesting, right? I do think that long-term, I think solar will take off. I think a lot of people are waiting to see what happens with Tesla's, you know, solar, you know, the flatter solar or the solar shingles or things that don't aesthetically look so bad. I think that can be a challenge for a lot of people, especially if you're putting a, you know, a premium architectural shingle on your roof and then you go and cover it up with solar. It kind of takes away from the whole point of that. In Utah, it's hard right now. Our, our electricity is pretty cheap. That was one of the things that actually happened with COVID is Utah took money that they received and lowered the power bills. Instead of you know giving it all out, they lowered the electricity. And so we're, as most states saw an increase in you know, electrical costs, we saw a decrease. And so right now, it's been, it's been challenging to sell in Utah. Um, plus Utah traditionally is the number one door knocking state in the country, you know, so uh, we offer it as a solution for customers that want it, but we don't, we don't push it. And I don't, I don't know of a roofing company that wouldn't want to offer that. Doesn't mean that they have to install it. Doesn't mean that they have to have every part of it, but they could sell it. Give me advice. Give you advice. Okay. Um, I think that you're in a tough place, right? With what you do. And I think that your intentions are honorable. And I love that about you. And I love that you're real. And I love that you're raw. 
I don't think though that you have to choose every single topic even when you're called out on it. I think that you could establish really clear parameters for yourself of what you are going to get involved in and what you aren't. And when it's outside of that, you just don't. Because I think there are situations that probably aren't worth your time and that you getting drug into it lessens the effect that you're able to have on other people um, industry-wide. Wow, that was powerful. I need to hear that. Thank you. Give advice to single mom in business. My biggest advice to giving to single moms in business is you need to forgive yourself. You will never get it all done. Um, focus on, sorry, I could get emotional because I love my kids. Um, focus on the quality of the time that you have with your children and not necessarily the quantity of time. Know that they're watching you and they're proud of you and it's a short period of time that you are in this position where you're balancing so much and they're counting on you as a role model long term. That's probably what I would say to single moms. Last one is, uh, what's your message to the roofing industry? My message to the roofing industry, that's a great question. Um, that just because things have always been done one way doesn't mean that another way isn't acceptable too. Doesn't mean that that way was wrong, but it means that evolution happens and things need to evolve and change. And you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over, right? And expecting different results. So. When I go and I read all these posts and you know, level the playing field or um, the lump sum contractor, it's just the same things over and over and over. And I just want to like start shaking people, you know, and be like, then change what you're doing. Change whether it's your approach, whether it's, you know, how you communicate, whatever. Change something because it's not going to change if you don't. Uh, we've had amazing success, but I have a lot of people going, it won't work, it won't work, it won't work, but they won't try it because there's too much fear around doing something different. And I promise it does work. I have two guys that are selling for me that moved from Colorado and they're like, I can't believe how easy this is. I can't believe how we, we really just had to shift where our um, sales pitch went to. You know, the sales pitch was for the adjuster and for the insurance company. And now they have to switch and they're selling the homeowner on a lot of the same concepts, right? So um, they've been really successful and really happy to find that it's not as difficult as people think it's gonna be. Love it.